Hello, listener darling, Hannah here. I just wanted to come on before you get into this next episode and give you a brief trigger warning. This episode, Amber and I discuss topics such as grief and loss, and we cover those in pretty heavy detail. So if that is something that is triggering or not safe for you, make sure you skip ahead to the next episode. We always here at the House of Wind want you to protect your heart and your mind and to do what is best for you. Hope you enjoy this episode. How? I gestured to the loom, the half-finished piece taking form on its frame, the art on the walls. How do you keep creating, despite what you've lost? Whether she noted the crack in my voice, she didn't let on. The weaver only said, her sad, sorrowful gaze meeting mine. I have to. The simple words hit me like a blow. The weaver went on. I have to create, or it was all for nothing. I have to create, or I will crumple up with despair and never leave my bed. I have to create, because I have no other way of voicing this. Her hand rested on her heart eyes burned. It is hard, the weaver said, her stare never leaving mine. And it hurts, but if I were to stop, if I were to let this loom or this spindle go silent, she broke my gaze at last to look to her tapestry, then there would be no hope shining in the void. My mouth trembled and the weaver reached over to squeeze my hand, her calloused fingers warm against mine. I had no words to offer her, nothing to convey what surged in my chest, nothing other than, I would like to buy that tapestry. Welcome to the House of Wind Book Club. I'm Hannah. And I'm Amber. This is a fan podcast where we discuss our current book obsession. We're going to break down chapters, characters, themes, and let's be honest, gossip about our theories relevant to the magical fairy-filled lands of Prithian. Just so you know, this podcast will contain spoilers and is explicit. We swear and we talk dirty. If you don't get worked up over the phrase, grab the headboard, or hello, fair and darling then proceed with caution. We hope you enjoy being a part of our book club. Stay smutty. I'm sorry. (laughs) You saw that? (laughs) I saw that. Oh my God. That's amazing. All right. We're just going to pick it up from here. Um, This is just a preview of where Amber and I are at currently, dear House of Wind listeners. Uh, Hi, welcome to this Hot Mess Express. We are currently in the middle of prepping for the Armageddon, a.k.a. Flame and Shadow coming out uh, at the end of this month. And we have basically just been listening at full speed to everything and anything that Sarah J. Moss has ever written. And our brains are broken. We're like trying to tread water 
but we're we're slightly drowning like in the best way possible it's it's like it's great because it's sjm but we're also trying to cram an ungodly amount of content into our ears and eyeballs and brains in a very short period of time like you know we didn't we are not the kind of people that prepare in advance you people know this about us honestly someone should have told us to start this shit like three months ago yeah guys where were you where were our responsible listeners who pre-planned and started this probably at the beginning of the year but i will say this is good for us because we have terrible memories so it's good for us (laughs) to read it all right before so that we can remember but i just have to say this is where i'm at right now you guys at work i sat down and i wrote out a list of all of the books and I looked on my Audible at how many hours they all are. And I added it all up and I divided it by how many days I have till January 30th. <laughs> and I have to listen. And I didn't even include Silver Flames in that, Amber. I have to listen to like seven hours every single Hannah, day. Hannah, that wasn't including Silver Flames. No, dog. It was not. Oh, but also, no. to my delight, the, if you guys listen on Audible, you know this is the best fucking feeling. When I changed the speed, hell yeah, Throne of Glass went from like 13 hours to nine hours. And I was like, damn, I just read like five hours of a book. <laughs> so I, I think one button. Yes, I think it's less than what it like looks like it is. And I listen to it all the time. So it honestly, I've listened to Throne of Glass in basically two days. So I think it's going to be OK. I think it'll be fine. So my she says only- now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As I've been drowning and thrown a glass for two weeks. Catch us next episode. See where we're at. Oh my gosh. But, well, this episode is going to release on January 10th. So. Oh, yeah. We're only 20 days out, people. Yeah, it's currently December 29th right now. So. So we're, we've, yeah. When we're, when we're playing. Yeah. Happy New Year. We did. We did. Again. Again. Yeah. For a second. You know what? All the happiness, all the good vibes. You cannot wish Happy New Year enough. (laughs) And if we're starting out January of 2024 with a new SJM book, it's going to be a good year, people. Listen, we are unstoppable if that's how we're starting this freaking year. Absolutely. So kind of on the same train of thought, just like we've mentioned in the previous episodes, it is live at this point. We have a tier two to our Patreon. What we're going to do with Tier 2, if you haven't seen already, this is going to be our SJM content. So think heavy, heavy on Crescent City the first few months. So if you want that extra content to do deep dives on the extra chapters, Crescent City 1 and 2 and predictions for Crescent City 3, general reactions to Crescent City 3, um, that's that's where our Tier 2 is going to shine bright. Yes. And we are so excited. It's going to be amazing. I it's going to we're going to get real down and nerdy. Our regular one is getting down and dirty and our that's what <laughs> inner circle is, getting down and dirty. The Valkyries is getting down and nerdy. We're going to be I love it. Our, our true colors shine when it comes to just how obsessed we are with this with this universe. Yes. 
Oh, so good. So yeah, make sure you guys check out our Patreon. We've got like so many good things that have come out that are coming out in general. Great way to support Amber and I and what we do so that we can keep getting this podcast out to you guys. Um, also, check out Audible. We just talked about how Audible is a great tool for those of you who are like us and you procrastinated and you need to listen to like eight 800 page books in <laughs> three weeks. Well, have we got the app for you? Audible, you can go <laughs> on there and check out all of SJM's titles. Crank that speed up to two times speed and get your reading in before <laughs> January 30th. You can find all those titles and you can even get one of those titles for free and get a free month trial at www.audibletrial.com slash house of wind. All right, people. Last episode. So last episode, we started off with a bang when I forced Hannah to do an impromptu recap of the previous episode because I literally have one brain cell left and it was otherwise occupied. Um, I, I like to think that my one brain cell is here and present today, but that is to be determined. I see um, her. Hi. <laughs> Our one brain cells oh. can high five each other virtually. <laughs> pew. <laughs> pew pew. Oh Lord. Okay. Last episode. Farah. Last episode was beautiful. Farah finally cussed in her healing journey. She put her paintbrush to a canvas and she portrayed exactly what she saw in the Ouroboros. And it was tragic and healing and beautiful. Reese visited Tampon in the Spring Court less beautiful still tragic um and and the guy is not looking good and we have very mixed feelings about it um we feel bad but we don't but then we moved on to farah and cass and we learned that they're horrific at decorating but they're really good at drinking wine and as sucks at trying to fix their mess our beautiful inner circle is at peace they are existing they are reveling in the fact that they are together and happy and they're thriving for what feels like the first time ever. And honestly, we're just, we're just happy. We're just happy about it. <laughs> Very happy. <sighs> about all but one person. Wah, wah. At the end of last episode, Farah set foot into the grimiest of grimy bars to have a little heart to heart with our lovely Nesta. Keep listening to find out. How that went for her. Wow. It's like we have one moment of peace. Let's like let Nesta, Nesta shit all over it. Honestly. I just started. Nesta. Listen, people. I just started rereading Silver Flames. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> I need to take a couple deep breaths. Because this girl. Ooh, she just knows how to get under everyone's skin. She's got a talent. She's very talented. She does. She's definitely that person. Like, we've all known that person before that just is contrary and annoys the shit out of you. And you can't just let it go. Like, it's no matter, like, you yes. can't just, like, breathe through it and be like, it's fine. It's just like, they get you no matter what. That's Nesta. <laughs> yeah. And Aelin, for that shit. matter. Aelin's also really good at that. Aelin is, but Aelin, it's, Aelin doesn't do it, I feel like, out of being malicious unless it's, unless it's her actual enemy, like an yes. actual evil person, right? Like, right. but to Dorian and Kaol, it's always like out of love, 
kind of, you know, like it's like a, in, I'm just shitting on you, friend. Yeah. Yes. In of glass, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before chaos yeah. goes downhill. Queen of Shadows, the, tur- the, the, yeah, the tables turn a bit, but anyway, Farah mm. in chapter 13, Farah enters the seedy bar. Yes. The spots, three fey males, three high fey males. Hi. Amber's one last brain cell. This is my chapter. <laughs> This is my <laughs> Oh, we are not editing that out. That is staying in. Oh. Uh, you guys. Again, for we're we're in it deep, okay? Our brains have been going towards one thing and one thing only. The worst part is that you were like waving at me and I'm like, hi. <laughs> oh my. You're like, what's up, friend? You... I'm doing the princess. Oh, are you? Thank you for being here today. Wave at you. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love that we're in this together. Holy shit. Uh, this this is life. Ooh. Oh God. Anyway, go ahead, Hannah. Okay. Chapter 13. Chapter, chapter 13. <laughs> I'm just going to take it away here. Jesus. Oh, gosh. Okay, so like Amber was saying, Farah enters uh, the CD bar and spots oh, wow. Nesta sitting with three high fey males. And she notices Nesta has lost weight. And Farah can just almost see the trauma just like hanging over Nesta. I, I really love that imagery of how she's like, I can just see what happened with Highburn and our father just looking over Nesta's shoulder. It's just like her inner demon, you know? Mm-hmm. And Nesta locks eyes with Farah. Keep in mind, she has not seen Farah in a while. And she has no reaction other than a look of contempt. And Farah interrupts the card game and asks the gentle males, which I find is so weird. Yeah, that's what they call. I hate that. I don't like that. Um, but also, I love that Farah still calls them gentlemen because it's just like that little piece of humanity left in her, you know? Right. I love that. Um, if she can have a word with her sister. And then once they leave, her and Nessa just basically have a stare off. Pretty much a match of wills just to see who's going to break first. And I have to say, I find it fascinating that Feyre and Nesta, for all their differences, are very similar. They are sisters. They are cut from the same cloth. They are both so stubborn. So damn Absolutely. stubborn. Absolutely. I mean, like, it, it comes through in different ways, but they are both just so strong-willed. And decide yes. to dig their heels in at almost petty times, honestly. They do. <laughs> Farrah, especially the, the last little bit we've had of Farah, Farah is definitely leaning into that a little bit more than and she honestly, was in the beginning. Nesta fucking deserves it. Oh, she needs her shit given right back to her. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's all I have to say to that. Yup. <laughs> So Nessa eventually breaks first, which I'm shocked by. Um, sarcastically asking if Reese will stand out in the cold all night. 
even mocking the two of them in a way when she insinuates that they're never apart, basically. Like, well, if you're here, like, of course Reese is here. She's just such a turd. But Farah, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She annoys me. Farah is not messing around, though. She came here for one reason and one reason only, okay? And she asks why Nessa did not accept Elaine's dinner invitation. She shockingly has a bullshit excuse, and Farah confronts her, basically saying, dude, Elaine, like, it's Elaine. Elaine wants you there. And you know that Nesta's in a bad spot emotionally and mentally when not even Elaine can convince her to do something. As True. we're going to see unfold. Yeah. And I think I think that's kind of the the cusp and the climax of Nesta's downfall. Yes. Is Elaine and uh, Amran kind of her relationships with those two? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I love the unspoken I wanted you there, too, that Farah thinks here. I love that SJM includes that because Farah and Nessa really do have so much miscommunication between the two of them. It's part of why their relationship is so fraught. I just feel like neither of them ever really tell each other what they actually want to say and what their feelings are. Yeah, I think they're both just so closed off emotionally with each other. And I think <clears throat> I think all three of the sisters aren't necessarily comfortable or even able to give words of affection to the others. Yeah, that's a good point. They're very much like, Farah's very much an acts of service girly. And Elaine's mm-hmm. very much like a quality time girl. And I don't know what Nesta is, but she's something. Does Nesta have a love language? I guess t- physical touch, maybe, is what we learned yeah. in Silver Flames. I could Honestly. see that. She's like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to talk. I just want you to touch me. Right. Hell I yeah. mean, I could see that. Um. So, yeah. I, and I do feel like their mother definitely didn't foster, like, an environment of lovey-doveyness. So that's probably where a lot of this stems from, too. You guys, I am so mad at Nesta when she tells Farah, quote, Elaine could have come here. Seriously, Nesta? What the actual fuck? Farrah responds by reminding her Elaine, she kind of like, it's a it's a touchy situation where she's just like, you know, Elaine doesn't like crowds. Trying to avoid that, it's also because this place is sketchy as fuck and Elaine would never step foot in here. And, and also, Nesta, would you want Elaine here? Screw you. Right? Like, I guess we've just let go of all of her protectiveness of Elaine at this point. Like, I think she's just, she has just, she's just done with every, she has no feelings. Her humanity switch is off. She does, she's feeling nothing right now. And you right. can definitely tell that from these chapters. Um, And Nessa continues being a brat and just saying, well, Elaine didn't used to be that way. Yeah. She used to be a sheltered human princess. But now she's a traumatized, newly born Faye, you asshole. Like, also, she used to be like that because you guys nurtured that in her. Like, I don't know. It's just a weird. Nesta gives me, before she goes on her healing journey, like, I can relate to the, like, 
lashing out. I think we all can mm-hmm. lashing out just yes. to want to hurt someone. Um, yes. We've all been there. It's it's not our brightest moments. Obviously, we'll get into that in Silver Flames a lot. Um, so so we've all been there. But it's mm-hmm. like Nesta shows she like literal like sociopathic tendencies before she starts her healing journey. Yes, how like, she is so manipulative in this horrible yeah where she's like uh when Farrah's like you know elaine would never come into a place like this and she's like a place like this what sort of place is that like like just flipping the situation and manipulating everything that Farrah is saying to just basically make Farrah try to eat like make her eat her words like and make her say these things that Farrah's trying to be kind and gentle about and she's just like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Farah is trying so hard. And again, can you imagine how big of a person you have to be to be in Farah's shoes right now? Mm-hmm. To have done everything that Farah has done throughout their entire life. And Nesta has literally never done anything for Farah. Yet mm-hmm. Nesta somehow blames her for literally every bad thing that's ever happened. Every bad thing. Even though she's literally breathing because of her, because of Farah, on mm-hmm. multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. I just, it just like doesn't, I think that's where I draw the line with Nesta, is is when she, like you said, like the manipulation, just, there's, listen, people, if there is something that's going to trigger me, it is manipulation ta- tactics, and mm-hmm. people just being sadistic and like just gross you know like that manipulate like that manipulation just honestly to my core gives me the ick when people say like that gives me the ick that's what i like it makes me feel repulsion far down in my gut yes it's probably that's some people would call that a trigger (laughs) um i think that's the webster's dictionary definition of what a trigger is oh my god i just cannot i can't hang with nesta it's hard especially if you've ever experienced someone like manipulating you it's just hard to like have any patience or space for that you know yes even for a fictional character yes exactly so i think like keep that in mind i've i have had a lot of that in my life and i i really i don't have any sympathy empathy Mm -hmm. i am cold hard vicious to nesta and i don't have a lot of like ooey gooey for her until she like actually honestly until the lake that's the first time that's the first time where i'm like okay prove it i'm listening (laughs) and that's so valid and i think that's the cool part about like us having discussions about it is everyone has different like life experiences so even people listening might have like differing just everyone's experienced something different with that so i think that's so cool we all bring something different to the table with that i'm i think nessa is a huge controversy for that reason true that yeah and also that's think, why we love to read a thousand percent yeah that's the best part and then talking about it yeah oh yeah i love it so yeah um nessa is basically summing up that conversation <laughs> that side tangent so Farah can sense the unspoken blame Nesta's placing on her here in regards to Elaine's current state, like you're saying. 
She's blaming her for everything. And Pharaoh informs her, you know what, Nesta, if you fucking bothered to come around, you'd see that Elaine is actually getting better and better every day. She's healing. And yes, she loved balls. She loved elegance. She loved parties. But you know what? She never would have frequented a bar like this, and you know it. And Nesta asks Farah basically get to the point so I can keep beating these dudes at cards. Like, again, nothing that Farah is saying is touching any of Nesta's heartstrings. Sociopath. And yeah, her heartstrings are so calcified. They're just like, <laughs> like crunchy and crusty, and nothing can pierce them. It's a little healthcare moment for you. Um, so. Yeah, Nessa's like, get to the point, dog. Um, I got shit to do. I got cards to play. And Vera begins to attempt to bargain with Nesta to see what it will take to get Nesta to come to the solstice party. Vera is being so freaking kind and reasonable here. And mm-hmm. Nesta just lashes out, saying it's not even a human holiday. Like, we don't even have... We didn't even have these holidays. Like, why would I celebrate it now? And also, you have your life. I have mine. Why should I have to be included in your freaking little happy circle? Like, I don't I don't care. And Pharaoh returns with the obvious, reminding her, you're my sister. Like, that's why we have to be in each other's lives. Like, or at least I'm trying for us to be in each other's lives because I still love you, you idiot. And Nesta just refuses to come. <sighs> uh, so Farah tries one one last angle saying, you know what? Our father would have wanted you to come. But Nesta, again, this is a huge tell that this is part of what she's struggling with. She puts a stop to that real quick. She's basically like, don't say you stop right there. Don't say anything else about Papa Archer on. And she just tells her, leave, get out of here. And then this, this girl, Amber, Amber, I I fucking can't. This chick has the audacity, as the Grinch would say, the audacity, the unmitigated gall. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. To then be like, hey, uh, also, I need my rent money, dude. I'm sorry. This is wild to me. This was, I had to like put my Kindle down. (laughs) I was like, what the hell? (laughs) And Farah being so the smart, beautiful queen that she is, sees this as her opportunity, her way in. She tells Nesta, you know what, Nesta? I got your rent. But you got to show up to the party at Solstice to get it. And then she this leaves is, Nessa in the bar. Honestly, Farah is like the the parent who, like I, like I imagine, ha- not being a parent myself, I can only hypothetically put myself in these shoes. Um, mm-hmm. But like having children and being like, I'm, I'm not going to be the parent that takes stuff away. Right? I don't want to mm-hmm. be that kind of parent but then you try gentle parenting and then you try literally every parenting style in the books and it still doesn't work 
because kids are kids, right? Mm-hmm. It does life doesn't work like that and it's not perfect and it's never going to be perfect and sometimes you just need to take the shit away to send a freaking message. And honestly, yeah. Nesta is the child that the only the only thing that could possibly work is to take away her funding and her resources and threaten or like threaten that so she has to come to this solstice party. And it just feels so Oh, it's just so immature. Like, do that with a child? Sure. That makes sense. Doing that with your adult sister? Squeeze me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Squeeze to the me. I, like, can't... The fact that... The fact that Farah and Reese are footing the bill for her... And... I'm sorry. Like, if I'm... If someone is paying for something for me... I'm not going to like, like, I'm still going to set boundaries if I need to. But like, if, if it's like, I'm paying for this thing. So just show up to this thing. Like, that's, that's all you have to do. You better believe I'm there. Like, I might not be staying the whole time, but I'm like, you know, I'm there. I'm putting in my time. You're covering the cost for this thing. Sure. Uh, I'll show my face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're like paying for your drinking and you staying in this place like i don't know that's the part where i'm just like nessa get over yourself for just five minutes and be like i'll show up i'm not gonna talk fine whatever just be there just be a warm body in the room honestly honestly (sighs) yeah yeah okay chapter 14 we do like a complete flip here we get Reese Pooh's perspective. Thank God. And his perspective is always refreshing, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so with his perspective, we get greater insight into how bad the damage really is in Valaris. And he's really looking at where Hybern hit the hardest along the Cedra because it is still far from being repaired. So he's mm-hmm. like out in the streets of Valaris looking at this. And he kind of thinks back to his childhood. And he he says that there were once great estates lining this entire river that are now little more than rubble. Right? When he was growing up, he attended events in the homes that were along this river. And they were huge, extravagant, magnificent homes that are just gone and he has go ahead i was just gonna say it's so sad like it It just like gives like ghost town vibes yes and and he has a moment where he says quote they'd been built long before i was born i'd expected them to last long after i was gone and this hit me like a fucking brick this sentence two sentences i this is grief this mm-hmm. is what grief feels like our our brains our entire life convince us that everyone and everything is always going to be there until it's not mm-hmm. and it sucker punches you at the wildest moments it's it's absolutely un unreal that 
And again, this is kind of that perspective where every reader gets a little different. This, These three chapters in particular, like, really had me feeling a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. I, for those of you that are still listening to this podcast, I'll give you a little, little intimate snippet into my life. Um, a few years ago, right before COVID hit, I lost like four people in a matter of like four months. Um, two of them being my mother and my grandmother. So like, I get grief. I I understand like grief is bizarre. It's weird. And I just, SJM is a genius. And I don't even know. I don't, I don't think she intentionally is like, how can I portray grief? You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just kind of like, I'm, I'm sure she was in the, how can I portray this rebuilding of an entire city? But it just so perfectly emulates the, they'd been built long before I was born. I'd expected them to last long after I was gone. And that's just the, that's just, that's just it. That's it. With everything in life, mm-hmm. you, that's just what you think. And then it's gone before you think it's going to be gone or they're gone before you think they're going to be gone and it is just it messes with your brain yeah because your brain is like your brain like can't compute it like like I like the person that I've lost is someone that lived really far away from me and it didn't hit until like the first holiday when that person like wasn't there and then my brain was like wait what and it like it really it's weird it's like what you were saying it's like your brain is just programmed to be like this person is like in my like folio in my head they're always there they've always been there and then yeah they're not there anymore and your brain's like wait and then yeah it hits you like and then yeah it hits you at the most mm -hmm. random times because when you Mm -hmm. yeah and it like for me, I lost a lot of people that I saw on a daily basis. And so it was just mm-hmm. like a, like everywhere I go, everything I do, everyone I see it, like, it doesn't matter. Like I open up my there. closet and I see stuff. I open up like a notebook and I like see their handwriting, you know, it's like just the most random things that are entirely, or it's like a smell or it's literally like someone says something and it like just comes out of nowhere or there's absolutely nothing that happens and you just get like this wave of like, whoa. So it's just, it's, I imagine Reese is feeling this as he's like walking through this town, the city of his, and he's thinking back to a time where it was so very different. Mm -hmm. And, and he, and he's grieving that he's grieving what his city has lost and what he's lost as a result. Yeah, which I think makes him a great leader. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. And then we we are joined by Moore, and Reese is walking through this area with Moore. And I just, can I say how much I love perspective changes? Because you know how we've been shitting on Reese for treating Moore like absolute garbage in Aquar? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. he knows he has been. We get his perspective, and he's like, I'm feeling like trash for treating her so poorly. I have been like he's been waiting for he's almost been avoiding it, but he's also been waiting for a moment alone with her. Mm -hmm. And he just thinks about how 
like the strain on their relationship is like a silent casualty of this war. The silent casualty being having to work with Kira and Eris and constantly doing this to more. It's it's a casualty of the worst kind impacting this beautiful friendship and relationship that they've had for so, so long. And we know that Kira is coming to Valaris soon. So it's not like these tensions are lowering. They're, if anything, like we are feeling a lot of emotions about the fact that Kira is coming to Valaris. So it, it's just so much. And it's like, you can tell they both, like they both want things to be better, but there's almost too much baggage to make it better. You know, there's too much yeah. happening to to let it be better and not not even let it be better to have it be better because in a best case scenario what we're already in he's still coming to Valaris we still are allied with them like that can't change and that is ultimately what's the crux of this butting heads and them their relationship being frayed yes oh yeah Ugh. so they have this moment where they just look at each other and they confide that they both wish it could be different. So they have this moment where they're like, we're not going to come to a solution, but I trust you and you trust me. It's going to be okay. And it's just that, can you, just having that ultimate trust in mm-hmm. in someone is, I have goosebumps just thinking about that. Just being like, this sucks. It sucked for a long time, but I trust you. You trust me. I trust that it'll all work out. Yes. And that's all it's we have. Almost, yeah. It's like almost like a parallel of us as readers. Like we have, we have faith in Sarah J. Moss that like when we're in the midst of these books and things are going to shit and we're like, you know what? She's done it before. This is fine. She has our best interests at heart. It's like recent and more. It's like, more knows that Reese loves her like mm-hmm. more than most people on the planet. And like he has her best interests at heart. And in the end, like that's what it comes down to. So. Right. Agreed. So they change the subject <laughs> and more asks what Reese got Farah, And he's like, Oh, you know, this and that to which, she just says, so nothing. And I am obsessed with how Reese is immediately called on his bullshit. And I also enjoy like the humanity aspect of how he is struggling to find something for her. Because what do you what do you get someone who has everything? You know, like like you get like sentimental things, but but honestly, after everything they've been through, how could you possibly possibly give her something anything that is worth what you feel you know there's there's no thing there's no thing right it's like how do you get someone who you literally see as your moon and stars something that quantifies that's how you feel about them Hmm. yeah i don't know (laughs) good luck good luck with that but this is immediately shadowed by what we learn about more and what this is, is that she is an atrocious gift giver, like bottom of the barrel, as bad as it gets gift giver. We all have we all have that person in our life. Mm-hmm. We all have that person in our life. OK. 
Oh my gosh. And Reese is just like cringing at what more might have in store for Farrah's present. And like internally, he's like, oh Christ. Farrah doesn't even know what's about to happen here at Solstice. So buckle up. I don't know. I, I love that detail. I love that. Picturing Cassian opening like a, a roughly pink tunic, like in his like Illyrian leathers and like Reese like opening cufflinks that are just like super gaudy. Like it's just so funny. And more being like, do you love it? Don't you love it? Aren't they gorgeous? And them having to plaster on that face of. Yeah, they're great. I love it. Oh, my gosh. When in reality, they all have a drawer of more gifts over the centuries. Yeah. Unreal. And she's like, you know, she's that she's hopefully not that person that's like, do you remember those like cufflinks I got you that one time? I don't I don't think I've seen you wear them. Like, where are those? And they have to like scramble to find them and be like, oh, yeah, they're just they're at the bottom of my drawer. Like, just got a little lost down there. Yep. Thanks for reminding me. I'll make sure I put them yeah. on next event. Thank you. How did I forget about these? Thanks. How could I? <laughs> but this is quickly shifted again because he looks at her and simply says, I'm going to need you more. But not to deal with the Court of Nightmares. No. She will be needed to win lands over, to help with negotiations, to try to convince their whomever they are talking to to be allies but also draw a clear line in the sand that if they're going to try to push us test the waters we will obliterate them so it's like this perfect balance that more has perfected over the centuries of like she's like a sour patch kid right she's like beautiful and yummy and everything you want to see and then you do one thing wrong and she's gonna bite you I love that. She's perfect, right? She's this is perfect. she's she was literally born for this role. And I just think she she's just so talented. She's amazing. And I I hate this next part because it just it shows Moore's insecurities. Um mm. because her immediate question, it's a quiet question. And she just asks, You're not doing this because you think I can't handle care, are you? And again, this is where I almost want to retract my previous statement about the ultimate trust, because the ultimate trust wouldn't say, like, she wouldn't have said something like this. Right. But, you know, I I say that with a grain of salt, because I feel like anything with him is just rooted in such deep trauma and horrible things because of him, not because of Reese, not because of Moore. It's because of him. It's because of Eris. It's because of Kier. It's so... Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, too, because I think this may not have anything to do with Reese at all. Uh, I think this could be a lot, in my opinion, this could be just more grappling with how she feels about herself in general. Not Mm -hmm. really, because I think sometimes you can have the biggest cheerleaders in the world and you can have, you can trust the people around you, but you still may not trust, like, have trust in yourself or feel worth in yourself. And I think that is a journey that Moore is currently on in this book is still finding value, you know, 
in herself, despite her like sunny disposition, I think she's got some really deep wounds that need healing. And yeah, even as much as she trusts Reese, I think that comes out at weird times like now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And it, mm. it honestly breaks me that she even has to ask that. But, you know, if that's what she needs to help heal that inner wound, if she needs to hear that absolutely not, that's not why Reese is doing that from Reese, even if she needs to hear it a hundred times, so be it. Wh- whatever mm-hmm. she needs in that moment. Um, But we know Reese is not that kind of individual. Reese would never, would never do that for that reason. Mm-hmm. And although, although Reese does acknowledge that she would definitely benefit being far far away from him from Kier I don't I don't think he would ever actually I know he would never ever ever look at her and be like I don't think you could handle yourself no definitely not no she wouldn't she wouldn't be his second if that was the case or Mm -hmm. his third or the is she wait because Amarin's second she's technically third yeah I talked myself through that one yes and I mean (laughs) Reese just surrounds himself with strong women anyways like that's just Mm -hmm. his yeah, he, there's, yeah, more, I think it's the case of more is stronger than she'll let herself acknowledge that she is. Yep, yep. And so, you know, I think kind of like what you said before, you know, she wants to prove that they didn't win in the past and they're not going to win now. Mm-hmm. And I, I just hope she can get that validation from herself and understand and feel the way about herself that everyone else in the inner circle feels about her and i think she'll get there i think it'll i think it'll happen after a a lot of backstory with eris comes about and kira's dead but yeah kira's dead baron's dead all the assholes are dead and then we learn the true we get the real tea of what actually happened yep agreed Yeah. So Moore knows that Reese will need her and she's honestly been cooped up too long and she's like, you know what? Whatever you need, I'll get it done. <laughs> I love it. She's like, I'm I your girl. Oh, she's like, I've been yearning for some travel. Yeah. Oh, so um, this this next chapter, people, yeah, had me ruined. Ruined. Absolutely ruined. I'm going to be attempting to read a passage from the book during this chapter. So don't mind me if my voice is like quavering because I was like reading this crying before we started recording. So yeah, oh my God. Bodes well. Yeah, this chapter is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's heart wrenching. Mm, Let's get into it. It's so good. We open this chapter with Elaine and Farrah shopping in Valaris. They stop and they're kind of chatting like in front of this tapestry shop while Elaine points out that she knows it's really hard for Farah to overcome buying something that isn't absolutely a necessity. And we know this comes from pre-Tam-Tam time where, you know, we had, you know, starving, cold winters, and her sisters were spending her extra money that she brought in. So this is definitely a learned behavior of Farah's and um, is one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, my childhood 
definitely formed like my behaviors today. Guys, this is a perfect example of that. Sarah J. Moss has done therapy. You cannot convince me otherwise. She is a therapy queen. And also both of us coming from places of like at some point in our life, we were absolutely piss poor. Yeah. Like, I get that. There are some Mm -hmm. times where I'm like, I really need that thing. And I'm like, I can't. I physically cannot get myself to buy that thing. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. I've oh I have plenty I have plenty of money to get whatever thing. It's like $30. Yes. I I'm fine. I can get that. Nope. Uh, nope. <laughs> oh yeah. The yeah. The number of times I have had to have that conversation where I'm like we don't need it and it's like it's just a little tiny it's thing fine. that would make life easier. It's fine. Like like you said it's like $30 and I'm like Nope. No. But if you've if you've been there, you know. You know. So and if you are there, my heart goes out to you because I know what that feels like. So mm-hmm. um, oh yeah. So it's definitely this learned behavior. And Farah does confirm this it feels excessive. Even though I love my friends, this feels just like not necessary. And Elaine reminds her very gently, I you know what? I Elaine is growing on me. I me I do too. love her. She's so freaking sweet. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I just yeah, she's she's getting me in these chapters, and she reminds her, Farah, this isn't just about buying presents. This is a a time where we're celebrating what everyone just fought for, keeping the Fae traditions and celebrations alive, and celebrating just being around each other. And gifts are a small way that we tell other people that we appreciate them by buying them something we know they enjoy or then they might not get themselves. You know, that's kind of what they are. Also, along with this point, I just have to say, Farah, you're also supporting small businesses of Valaris when you are buying local, which, by the way, guys, always you should try to buy local uh, and support small businesses like you are still you know helping the economy of Valaris which is something that's essential right now so it is kind of another thing where I'm like and there's that too absolutely 100% yeah worth it just just spend your money you have so much of it yeah put it back into your community yeah yeah and that's like ultimately what she does all the time I think Mm -hmm. she just gets into this mental block of like my friends don't need anything so why am I doing this? Like if I need art supplies or Reese needs something for a job that he's doing or Cass needs something for training. Yeah, that's practical. They need it. We'll go buy it. But like a gift, I think, I think that's where her mental block is like, (laughs) her brain just like, can't compute it. She's just like, no, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Error. (laughs) (laughs) So Farah stops as she sees this tapestry that's made of this, iridescent fabric with the night court insignia stitched on it in silver and this the black fabric that it's on seems to almost gobble up the light and she even goes as far as reaching out to try and touch it and her finger seems to disappear when she touches it and the woman who made it is in the shop I'm going to refer to her as the weaver this is not Striga it's just a regular old Fay Weaver. Okay. Just a weaver. <laughs> Don't get carried away. Um, 
She asks the weaver about the strange material. And we learn that the weaver calls it void. And the fabric itself is darkness that has been made. And the weaver started creating void the day that she learned her husband would not be returning from war. And she thought that they would have an eternity together. And now that that's gone and he's gone, she mourns that they didn't have children because now she doesn't really have like a, like a physical piece of him left. And she tells them void was essentially born of that, of that feeling. Who fuck. Fuck me. That is, That is. You want to know who could be the poster child for that? Hmm. Nesta. (laughs) Nesta could make some dark shit if she was crafty. Like, we should be glad that Nesta, well, you know, eventually maybe it'd be good for her. But right now where Nesta's at, maybe she might make some bad things. But yeah, I think Nesta could definitely benefit from some kind of art therapy for sure. Right, but like I'm just talking about like the void, like void is oh the feeling of the void, yeah, the void in general. She yes. she's in it. It's and honestly, with Nesta, I think she is past the void. Like I think there's the void, and then there's like the pit. Like I just feel like she is in this like cold zone of we've. We skipped over, I don't know, it's it's weird. Because this is like, she took feelings, like she worked through her feelings or essentially poured her feelings into something to create this. And I feel like, I don't know, the, like, I don't know. I guess it does make sense. It makes sense. But anyways... <laughs> Yeah. Just excuse me, my brain is broken. But yeah, like it is this this bleak darkness of just endless sorrow. Unending yeah. sorrow. Unreal. So Farah, after hearing all of this, has a moment of realization that this could easily have been her. And she touched that that specific grief because Farah has known grief but this specific grief that she's referring to of losing your partner she's like oh I touched that for a moment and I never want to feel that again and the symbolism in this following passage is so freaking beautiful where the weaver essentially goes on to say like, cause I think Elaine is like, Oh, why not get rid of the piece? If it, if it's that, if it hurts you that bad, if it's that sad. And the weaver tells her, you know, I hope it will get easier to talk about it. Every time a customer asks me about void and it's for sale because I just want to get rid of it. And it's like, I mean, it literally is what we were talking about. Like grief. It's like, that feeling of like you hope that eventually it just gets easier to talk about 
uh, when it gets brought up. And like also that it's something you wish you could just at times be rid of, you know, like that mm-hmm. heavy feeling. And it's just so. I don't know. I just love the way that SJM wrote that where she's talking about this piece, but she's also talking about like her sadness. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's not much to say, really. It's Honestly, so sad. It's but. With that being said, like grief is really interesting that way because like when it first hits you feel you know and everyone's different so this is you know kind of my experience with it but you feel like it's it is a void you feel like it's never ending you feel like you're never going to go back to even a morsel of who you were before but then there are moments over time you know and the amount of time depends on who you are but Grief is the one thing that I can confidently say time is literally the only thing, one of the only things that can across the board, like patch up at least a little bit of the wounds. And it does yeah. get easier. It does get easier. It, and it, it will get easier. But I think the weaver just portrayed that is portraying with void the 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 moment or the period of time where you feel like it's never going to get better yes that initial period and like you're saying no light at the end of the tunnel there's yeah you're you're in the tunnel you're stuck in a labyrinth and you're convinced you're never going to get out yes that is what void is Mm -hmm. and then Farah continues and she thinks, oh, I can use my powers, my Daimati powers to take away this woman's grief. But then she thinks more about it and she thinks, but she took this feeling and she created something truly amazing out of what she lost and Farah doesn't want to take that from her and then this is my favorite part Elaine asks her what the silver thread is called and the weaver replies I call it hope and she made it after she created void and Farah is so moved she has to walk away and she's staring at this piece And she sees this bright silver, like, thread that's standing out among the devouring darkness of the other fabric. And this is the moment when you realize, when you get past the part where you feel like it's never going to get better. And you realize grief is never something that you're ever going to be fully rid of. It's something that you, it just gets easier to carry it over time. You learn to adapt. But I love that SJM, that moment with Pharaoh where Pharaoh is like, I shouldn't take this away from her because I feel like grief is almost like 
it's like the the person or the thing or the place, whatever thing you grieve over, because anything is valid to grieve, right? That feeling of grief is almost like a love letter of like those lingering feelings. It's the way that person like stays with you, essentially. It's the way you carry those memories with you and and those things with you. And I feel like in my experience, yes, grief has been this dark, horrible thing. When I got past that point, it's like that moment of being able to remember like why you feel that way about that person because you love them so much. And just remembering like that feeling of love, it doesn't heal it. It doesn't help like make it go away, but it helps like ease that a little bit. So anyways, that's just kind of like how I feel about the silver thread of hope. (laughs) And I love that hope was included. And I feel like for me, hope is hope and grief are very different. We tend, we tend Mm -hmm. to, we tend to blend them together just like she is in this she did in this tapestry but but they're still separate threads right mm-hmm. and so i feel like the true cusp of healing from grief is when you are able to take cuz a lot of grief comes from being reminded of individuals or circumstances or things that you are grieving from a whatever it is from an item from a conversation whatever but mm-hmm. it's it's getting that little tidbit of memory and instead of being innately only sad that you no longer get to experience it it's being happy that you ever experienced it at all Mm -hmm. and it's it's taking away the the deep sorrow and instead it's replacing it with this light of being grateful for what you did have and so I, there was something that I found that just rocked my world, and I'm going to read it really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of this, we should probably put a, just a warning at the beginning of this episode about grief. Yes, I will do that. Let me um, write a reminder to myself while you read that. Okay. So here it is. If you ever get the chance to love a person who knows grief do not let them go. You see, the thing about grief is that it's not exclusive. It consumes life. It taints everything a little gray. It won't hesitate to remind you that everything and everyone you love will disappear someday. But I found that the people who carry grief love with a fierceness that no one else knows. They understand what's at stake because they've had to let someone go. So they remember the little things and they show up when it counts. They know, oops, sorry. Shoot. Can I start over? Yep. I can't get this to like pause. It's a video. Oh, is it like a reel? Yeah. And it's not like working the way I normally, oh, I just need to hold hold it down. I'm a grandma. Yeah, hold down on it. It's okay. Okay, start over. Okay. So I found this really beautiful passage that I want to read to all of you. Okay. If you ever get the chance to love a person who knows grief, 
do not let them go. You see, the thing about grief is that it's not exclusive. It consumes life. It taints everything a little gray. It won't hesitate to remind you that everyone and everything you love will disappear someday. But I've found that the people who carry grief love with a fierceness that no one else knows. They understand what's at stake because they've had to let someone go. So they remember the little things and they show up when it counts. They know that life is rare. You won't have to spell it out. So don't take for granted the people who know loss, for they know more about love because they know what it costs. I love that. Yeah. Excuse me while I cry. (laughs) But it's so true. That's so true. I mean, that's like the most perfect way to put that. Whoever wrote that is a genius. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. It's It's one of my favorites. I just, I feel like it perfectly captures you know the way the way perspective changes when you experience grief and although I don't wish deep sorrow and grief upon anyone um I do know that for those of us that have experienced it at least for myself I had a wild shift in perspective um that has allowed me to be more present and understanding and just have an honest to god different view on the world you know little things are little things and it's no big deal right but yeah anyway thank you for listening to that that's (laughs) i know one of my one of my favorites so yeah well when you read that i mean i was just thinking of you the whole time so Mm -hmm. it's it's so true (laughs) it's true I love you, friend. <laughs> oh, I love you, too. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on to more tears, because now we're just going to read this next part straight from the book. Um, Farah thinks about how lucky she is to still have her mate, right? I mean, again, it's wild that Reese died, and then, like, she still has him, essentially. And yeah. I feel like that in itself must be such such a hard thing to grapple with while you're talking to this woman who like lost her partner and you're just you were just thinking about how hard it is to buy gifts and now you've just been confronted with this like you know just this life altering truth essentially and she you know feels grateful that their story gets to continue on and she's staring at this tapestry and Farron knows now what she wants to give Reese to celebrate this holiday where they are together and they're alive. And Farah asks the weaver how she could keep creating despite what she's lost. And this is where I'm just going to read straight from the book. The weaver only said, her sad, sorrowful gaze meeting mine. I have to. The simple words hit me like a blow. The weaver went on. 
I have to create or it was all for nothing. I have to create or I will crumple up with despair and never leave my bed. I have to create because I have no other way of voicing this. Her hand rested on her heart and my eyes burned. It is hard, the weaver said, her stare never leaving mine. And it hurts. But if I were to stop, if I were to let this loom or the spindle go silent, she broke my gaze at last to look to her tapestry. Then there would be no hope shining in the void. I have goosebumps and from head to toe. And this is why we need art, people. <laughs> it's so important. Uh, it's this this chapter like made me just want to go and like freaking paint live. my heart out like Farah <laughs> and just live my life and create and put things I think I think I've mentioned this before too of like if you are anyone and you I've had so many people who like look at stuff and they're like I've overheard people say like I couldn't do that or I well if I made this xyz if you have a feeling in your body and you need to express it and you haven't found a way to express it yet just take a pen and paper just find some paint somewhere just go sit out with an open notebook and write down what you're feeling. That's art too. Like just find a way to take what you're feeling inside and put it outside of your body, whether it's spoken word poetry, painting something, writing a song, humming, dancing. I don't know, dancing, Singing. just skipping, skipping in a field. Any, literally anything like that is art. Put it out into the world. Even if it's just for you, if even if it's just for you, because it's so freaking good it's so healing it's so it's just so different than holding it inside of you and then if you get to the point where you want to share it with other people you just never know who might look at that like pharaoh looked at that tapestry and she was like oh i know what that feeling is like that i know that i've been there i've lived in that and all it took was her looking at it and we got this beautiful chapter so all i'm saying is Put your stuff out there. Don't be afraid of that. What you have is worth seeing and worth experiencing for yourself or for other people too. Absolutely. Oh, anyways, I'm done with my spiel. <laughs> so Feyre then buys the tapestry and it's for nobody but for herself. I love that. Mm. Me too. I love that. Special. Yes. And then... We get several winnow stops here at the end of this chapter. Farah immediately winnows to the abandoned studio that she's kind of claimed as hers a little bit um, and begins to just paint her little heart out. She paints and paints and paints and, until all of a sudden she hears someone else in the studio and it's Racina and she's <laughs> come to clean up the shop and Farah apologizes for being in the shop and then also for not coming to her painting group. And Racina, you could tell Racina just understands. She's like, you do not need to apologize. I'm just glad you're in here. The space is being used. And Polina, who owned the studio, would have really liked you. And she would love that, like, this is what you're using the space for. Like, don't apologize for that. And Racina tells Farah, 
you know, Polina's family is selling the shop, essentially kind of hinting like Farah should purchase it. Mm-hmm. And Farah's just like kind of fumbles and like rushes her way out awkwardly. <laughs> like, um, yeah, okay, cool. Thanks. Bye. Sure. I'll think about it. Ah! And then she like runs out the door <laughs> and then bumps into Reese. And I just picture her like scurrying out, looking behind her, like talking to Racina and then bumping into Reese and just her shit goes flying everywhere. Like, like cartoon just... <laughs> style. Yes. Like. I, I like picture it like that in my head, like a movie scene where it's just zoomed in on her and then just this chest that she runs into. <laughs> and then her stuff goes over and she looks up and it's just Reese just like grinning Smirking. at her. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so Farah's like, or Reese is like, so what's, what's going on with you, Farah darling? And <laughs> Farah just kind of fills Reese in on like, the whole studio situation that she's been painting again. That's where she's been doing it. And Reese is like, we can buy you a studio like where, you know, whatever you need. And this is like the second time he's offered this. But she tells him the vibes have got to be right wherever I paint, you know, and the vibes seem right at Polino's, you know, <laughs> and vibes. she <laughs> vibes as Ben says, vibes. <laughs> We're always chasing vibes. And. It's true. You got to have the right vibes or it's hard to produce art in a place you aren't feeling it. Mm-hmm. And she then asks Reese, is it like painting like helps me? It helps me heal. And is it dumb like to think that maybe painting might help other people heal as well? <clears throat> Literally what we were just saying. And so we don't think you're dumb, Vera. And Reese also tells her, no, I don't think that's stupid at all. You guys, I love Farah. I, the fact that this is where her heart and her mind go to like, this thing helps me. Like, I think I could use it to help other people too. Immediately. Like, we're not immediately. I love her. I love I love her so much. She has an absolute heart of gold. We don't deserve her. Oh, she's just so yeah, she's beautiful inside and out, man. Those people are rare to come by and I love that we get to spend so many books with her. It's she's a treasure. Oh. Farah now fast forward, Farah's at Amron's apartment. <laughs> a lot happens at the end of this chapter. And she enters the apartment to the smells of a rocking good time. It smells like sex in Aaron's apartment. <laughs> and you know, as Faye, they can like really smell it. And Farrah's like, you could crack a window. And Aaron's just like, it's too cold. Do you think that sex smells like sex? Like what, what we mm. smell as sex? Or do you think it smells like their sense and like their like turned on sense you know how they can like always smell that i'm wondering if it could be like a mixture of both but i think you're on to something i do think it like i hope that it's their like you know when they're like the rain kiss cedar or whatever like i'm really hoping that that's but i think (laughs) farah the way farah reacts 
is kind of like, you guys should shower and air this place out. So it yeah. seems like it's like raunchy sex, sexy smells, you know, like the... <laughs> <laughs> and yep. I have a th- I have a theory, Amber. I think this is one of Amber's kinks. I think she likes to marinate in the scent of just her and Varian's pleasure. I feel like she gets I off on that. that. Like Varian comes home and she's just like, all I've been thinking about is us doing it again because it just smells like us in here. Like I I think that's that's one of Amber's yeah things that she I loves. Could see that. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, if, if that's your kink. That's, that's all good, Shadi. But it's just so funny how Farrah just walks in and she's like, oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe before people come into your house, air it out. I don't know. Um, also, yeah. you guys, Amran is at her table doing a puzzle, Winnie the Bish style. Winnie the Bish. <laughs> puzzling. Amran's about to do some puzzling. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I just picture her like like Winston Bishop. Oh, if you've watched New Girl, you know I love Winston and his Winston's puzzles. Winston's the best. Oh my God. I don't know why this is so funny to me, but just the thought of Amron doing a puzzle and not just a puzzle, a 5,000 piece puzzle, her fifth in three days. Oh my gosh. I want a vacation with Amron. I mean, she's just like getting off and then sipping tea and doing puzzles like this sounds great to me honestly Sign me up. <laughs> right <laughs> where do we go on this kind of a vacation <laughs> wow. what cabin do i have to rent <laughs> just has puzzles already there i love it so we learn just this just continues we learn that varian is out buying more presents for amarin because quotes heavy air quotes here he decided what he brought from summer court wasn't enough for her solstice presence you know that amarin like plied him with sex and then peeked at her gift and was like i deserve more than that are you kidding me go go go. run along little boy get me more (laughs) oh my gosh i require five more diamonds for my collection i can't i just i she can't be more perfect i love amarin she's great she's just such a perfect balance yeah she is the perfect the perfectly crafted character oh god she's so great and i love her and varian's dynamic varian will do anything for this woman he's she says jump he says how high like oh man so Amrin gets right to the point and is like, why'd you come here? I know you didn't come here to shoot the shit with me about puzzles and Varian. And Feyre reveals she's worried about Nesta. So great. We're bringing it back to Nesta again. Asking Amrin, like, do you have any insight into what she might be going through? Kind of like insinuating, like, has she said anything to you? And Amrin reveals that she's one of two people that we know that like Nesta. It's her and Cassian, and that's freaking it. No one else likes her. And this is part of the reason why Amryn likes her so much, that Nessa isn't easy to understand. And I do think that Amryn finds Nessa intriguing because I think that in her just long existence, we know Amryn's ancient, she's probably has encountered a handful of people that actually are challenging and are like a puzzle to figure out and don't just come easily. 
like the rest of the inner circle, she pretty much has them figured out, right? Like she loves them and she enjoys being around them, but they aren't like, like she knows them in inside and out, but there's no challenge with them. And with Nessa though, it's like, hmm, this is a tough nut to crack. And Amron tells Farah she doesn't want to betray Nessa's confidence by talking about her. And she kind of like even says it's gossipy, which I don't know. I don't think that Farah like coming by to just like it's not like Farah wants to talk about it to talk shit about Nesta. She wants to know, like, is there something I should know? Like, is there a way I can help my sister? And and it's not like she didn't try to talk to Nesta first. Correct. If she went straight to Amran, I would be like, E, questionable Mm -hmm. choice. But she didn't. She's tried. She's tried Mm -hmm. to talk to Nesta and she knows that Nesta talks to Amran or at least, you know, more than she talks to Farah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're you're that worried, of course, you're going to reach out to the one person who may have a little bit more information. I would have done the same thing. Yeah, same, same. If it's anyone that you are concerned over like that, for sure. And Amran just tells her, you just got to give Nesta time and space to work through her shit, basically. And Amran sees right through Feyre, which is a, one of the things I love about Amran. <laughs> she sees right through her when she says, you know, Elaine will be heartbroken if Nessa won't come to Solstice. And Amran only responds with Elaine or you. Ooh. <laughs> and Amran is our perfect example of why we just need to say it how it is, because she's going to know what you want and think anyway. So just say it. And it's one of those things where Farah needed to say that out loud, I think, of like, okay, both of us will be hurt. Like, it will also hurt me. I'm not just doing this for Elaine. Oh, I'm also doing this for me, too. To just, right. like, acknowledge it out loud sometimes is a good thing to do. Agreed. Um, yeah, and Amber's just such a good friend in that respect. And I think she's gotten a little bit better of kind of, like, scaling it back instead of just being really brutal about it. She's just kind of like, she just drops a line there and leaves it like, you know, makes you think about it. And then Farrah just asks Amran if Nesta like visits her, just tell her it would really mean a lot if she came to the solstice party. And in true fashion, Amran, of course, does not promise that she will do this. She's like, I hear you, but if it happens, it happens. If it comes out of my mouth, great. If not, that's fine, too. Bye, Farah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get back to my puzzle. Barry will be back soon. We have things to do. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah. It's, I don't know, a weird way to end this chapter, but that's how we ended it. But I'm glad we got to see Amran. We haven't had enough Amran. I agree. Give us more Amran. Yeah, I feel like she's not really... I mean, we get more of... We got a lot of her with, like, in regards to the book... The breathings. Mm -hmm. But even that was just kind of her being like, I don't know what the fuck this book is telling me to do. In scene. That's pretty much like what it was. So I'm hoping we do get a little bit more of her as well. Yeah. Agreed. Which I think we will in some some upcoming books. Oh, yeah. Yikes. I think we all know what our big idea is for this episode. This was a heavy episode. Um. Mm-hmm. so you know for all of you that are listening if 
it's something that really resonated with you and it you feel like it did good things for your mind, body, and soul, wonderful. If it did not so good things for your mind, body, and soul, I am I apologize deeply. Mm-hmm. Um that you know, we kind of talk about our experiences kind of like what we talked about before in relation to what we read and how we feel. And, you know, obviously just like every single one of you that listens to this, we have our own experiences, but if ever what we're sharing feels like a little too much, um, please let us know. Yeah. Please let let us us know. know. Yeah. Um, you know, this is kind of a platform for us to also talk about ourselves and for Hannah and I to kind of, dive into pieces of ourselves that maybe we need to share and have a little camaraderie with as well. Um, So, you know, just keep that in mind and speak kindly to everyone. (laughs) And we will do the same to you. Um, But yeah, obviously all of you have been listening for a long time, which is why I think we're finally at the point where we're mm-hmm. feeling a little bit more open and vulnerable to kind of talk about these things with you. Obviously not every episode is going to be like this, but um, kind of talking about big things. And I think as we get into silver flame, stuff like that might kind of come up as well. Um, so, you know, we're, we're always an open line of communication. So talk to us. We'll talk with you. Um, but, Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. I think, and thanks for just letting us so far be able to feel like this is a safe enough place to share some of our stories as well. Because I think it's hard sometimes when we have to be vague, sometimes it makes it seem like we're one, we are one. And as much as Amber and I are one mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, we ha- also have very different experiences and you know lives and so it's nice to be able to kind of let you guys just kind of learn who we are individually as well as together um and like what amber said just take this episode even if it was something good for you i have in my experience i have found working through and thinking about things that are hard that do end up being good Still be kind to yourself. Sip a nice cup of tea. Go for a walk. Stretch. Eat a piece of chocolate. Hug someone. Something that just gives you some warm fuzzies to just kind of wrap it all up, you know? Just take care of yourselves out there, guys. Absolutely. Yes. On that note, uh, make sure for the next episode, you guys read chapters 16 through 18 to be prepared for the next episode. Um, thank you guys so much for choosing to be a part of our book club. You guys are amazing. Um, thanks for all of our Patreon members. Thanks for anyone who has signed up for the next level. We're excited to be releasing new things. Check out what we have to offer there. Um, it's going to be a really good time. We appreciate you all. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram or TikTok at House of Wind Pod. Email us theories, burning questions, or anything else at House of Wind Podcast at gmail.com. And all this information can be found in the show notes. We'll talk to you next week. Stay smutty. <laughs>